You have questions? We have answers. We're two Southern moms on the backside of raising kids. And we have some things to say. We've lived life, made mistakes, and learned some lessons. Join us for answers to the questions you, you just, just want to ask your mom. mom. Welcome to another Just Ask Your Mom podcast. I'm Bonnie Blaylock. And I'm Renee Sproles. Well, we have featured various health professionals on our podcast in the past. We've had pediatricians, OTs, PTs, a doula, a pediatric chiropractor. And we'd like to bring you information that we think will be helpful and informative. A lot of times we are learning new things right alongside of you since, well, we admit it's been a little minute since we had babies on our hips and toddlers underfoot. And things are always changing. Yeah, and so today we're happy to have with us another type of therapist you may not be familiar with. We want to introduce you to Chelsea Madison, owner of Breathe Well Group, and they have locations in Murfreesboro, Mount Juliet, and Franklin, Tennessee. So that's in the Middle Tennessee area here where we live, but you can likely find similar therapists and offices where you live as well. Welcome, Chelsea. Hey, guys. Thank you guys for having me. Um, so I'm just going to add on to our locations. We also have West Tennessee location near Jackson. Um, and then I go about once a month or whenever they need me to Chattanooga too. So we have oh, great. Um, some of the branched out areas um, because my biggest goal with the practice is having access to care. It's really important to me. Um, I lived a lot of the lives that my clientele come in here with, right? So um, my life goal is to make sure that our standard of care is higher than it is right now. You have a standard of care. Tell us about your training and just about you in yeah, general. Tell sure. us, tell so our listeners who you are. I am married. Um, I've been... I don't know. <laughs> this is always so hard. We've been married for I don't know how many years, but we've been together for 15 of them. <laughs> so wow. um, I, I've lost count after the 10, honestly. Um, I have two children. I have an eight-year-old son who is my reason for doing what I do. Um, and I apologize if I get teary-eyed. Oh, yeah. Um, it is so close to my heart. Yeah. So I just want to make sure that... <clears throat> people understand me because then they'll understand the practice. I also have a one-year-old, um, boy and girl, and we live in Mount Juliet. Been there for most of my life, and so that's where the practice actually started. That's our home location. All of our locations are micro-locations. So the reason for that is because that is how I, as a small business owner, can bring access to care to multiple places. So every location that you will come see us in is within another office. So this one that we're in today is inside of Milestone Chiropractic. My Franklin location is inside of Paige Prather Smiles Airway Center. Um, Mount Juliet is just office buildings um, and so on and so forth. Yeah. Milestone Chiropractic, in case you think that sounds familiar, is where uh, Marilyn and Wyatt Campbell practice and we've had them on here before. Yeah. So we're upstairs in their That's upstairs right. cute little bonus room area attic area that's yeah. now turned into an office it's lovely up here love it and if you hear little people it's because it's a it's an Why? office they're where practicing. they're seeing patients that's right that's right so tell it so tell me about like what's your training like what are you sure so there's a laundry list of that but my first degree is as a registered dental hygienist so i did hygiene school and graduated back in 2012 ish um so started my career as just in the hygiene field in the oral cavity. Um, I didn't really even know that any of this existed until I had my son. 
And that's when I started searching for answers because of the nursing issues. You know, we had the pain with the nursing and the colic and we just couldn't get it right. And there was no providers that new. So I went on to myofunctional training, which is muscle function training. Um, easiest way to describe is that it's a type of physical therapy, but in the head and neck region. Um, so we focus on the oral cavity mostly. So everything oral phase we do. Um, it is different than speech therapy. So we get those kind of crossed a little bit. Um, but a lot of the same thought processes um, within myofunctional therapy and speech therapy. Um, so after I did initial training for myofunctional tr therapy to treat ages four and up, I just felt like it was not enough. So I continued training, did training under an occupational therapist for cranial nerve dysfunction, did training for tethered oral tissues or oral ties, um, did training in tummy time certification. So I am tummy time method certified under an occupational therapist. Um, went on to lactation training, multiple lactation trainings, about to sit for my IBCLC board. Um, Which so is, soon I I, what's IB blah, 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 yeah. blah. <laughs> what is that? So <laughs> IBCLC is International Board Certified, Certified Lactation Consultant. Okay. Right? So I am already lactation consultant, but there's a board that you can sit in front of, and it is like the gold standard of lactation. Um, so I've done multiple lactation. I do lactation in the practice. We have an IBCLC already. Again, International Board Certified Lactation Consultant. Um, but I'm just continuing my learning. So I wow. will have more certification soon because I have other courses in the works. Um, but that is where I'm at as of now. Wow. That's so a lot. That is a ton. So the Breathe Well group helps with what you said, orofacial myofunctional therapy, which was a mouthful when I first read it, when I first tried to say it. Um, and that just involves, like you said, everything within the oral facial cavity, head and neck above. Mm -hmm. um, so things like abnormal lip, jaw, tongue position during rest, swallowing, or speech, right? Um, so how can you tell us, how is this different than speech therapy? Because I'm a little more familiar with that because we have some friends who are speech therapists. Um, my brother had to go through that when he was really little in the 70s and learn how to say his W's and his S's. So that's oral, yeah. right? So how yeah, is what absolutely. you're doing, how does that overlap with speech therapy? Yeah, so there are some SLPs, speech language pathologists, that are trained in the oral motor or the muscle function aspect of it. So there is some overlapping, especially with the infant's and feeding therapy um, versus what I do, which is oral motor work and lactation. Um, but in general, speech therapy is mostly articulation, sounds, making the sounds. Um, that is their big thing that they're doing. What I'm doing is tongue placement, lip strength, tongue strength. The tongue is made up of multiple muscles, so we target all the different muscles and basically just get everything strong and functioning the way that it needs to. Sometimes that can help with speech, but I use a lot of really good speech therapists. So I am a provider that I do not claim to be everything. Um, I do what I do and I do it well. And that's why I have so many other providers in my tool belt that I can send to. So if it is true speech, articulation, things like that, then we have providers we send to. If it is a muscle dysfunction where the muscles aren't working or we can't move the way we need to or they're not strong enough, that is something that we would do within the practice. Okay, so your average parent 
has their first child. We go to the pediatrician, or maybe it's our first visit to the pediatric dentist, or maybe even an orthodontist. Maybe it's even that far down the road. What are some things they might discover that would lead to a referral to you? That's a loaded question (laughs) because most traditional practices, pediatrician, dentist, um, anybody who does not have expanded training is not going to know to look. Mm. So sort of like the chiropractor downstairs. Yeah, exactly. So a lot of the parents that I get, either they did their own research because they were seeing these symptoms happening looking up things, just going down the rabbit hole, and that's how they finally eventually find where they should be. Or like I said, that network of providers that I use, there's pediatric dentists that we use all the time. Those type of providers we get a lot from. But in general, typical pediatric office, typical dentist, typical anything, um, they're not gonna know. They're not gonna know how to screen, what to even look for, or what's a red flag. So let's get into sort of what your experience was. You mentioned at the top of the podcast that you, the reason you're doing this is because your eight-year-old son. So what did you notice with him that caused you to go down that rabbit hole? Yeah, so with him, and with the first child in general, right, like you have no idea what's going on. Exactly. All of a sudden, this new person lives with you. So it's such a whirlwind anyways. Well, on top of that, we had nursing issues. And the number one first thing for us was the pain that I was experiencing. Bleeding nipples, cracked nipples, baby was screaming, all of these things. Yes. And it's so terrible. And anybody that I asked that should have been qualified in this basically just blew it off as normal. And we use this word so much in our society. It's normal, right? Snoring is normal. It's not. These are all big, huge red flags that something's going on. Um, So for him, we were not able to successfully nurse and I had to pump exclusively for an entire year with almost no answers. Like nobody could tell me why it was happening. Come to find out, he had a severe tongue tie and all of the oral dysfunction that went with having a tongue tie. And it caused us not to be able to have a good nursing career. Um, And it was really sad for me because that was something that was really important. Mm -hmm. Um, So with my hardheadedness, I guess, being able to figure out what was going on was really important. Like I cannot accept that as a society, this amount of pain and issues with feeding was happening for thousands of years and we survived. There's no way that's true, right? There has to be something else. (laughs) Yeah. So finally that's when I started getting the answers and my daughter was also tongue-tied. So we're a family full of tongue-tied oral dysfunction, all of the laundry list of things that I'm gonna go into. Um, and she's one, and I was able to have my redemption yeah, because we, mm-hmm. yeah, we knew what to do. Like from the beginning, as soon as I had her, she was in therapy and I was doing the therapy that I do with infants. And we did the body work that was paired and we did everything and we did the surgical releases and we were able to nurse for as long as we wanted to, mm. um, which was amazing. Mm. And my goal with the practice is to be the bridge for the moms that just don't know. Mm, great. That's great. That's wonderful. that's wonderful to have that help that's out there because so many women struggle with that. And I think there's more and more pressure 
um, in our society as the pendulum has swung to nurse, to breastfeed, to yeah. do that. And if you're not quote unquote doing it right, pile on the mom guilt. Well, cause we're not living in a big old hut altogether. <laughs> Praise God for that. For <laughs> But yeah. those were your people to help you. Yeah. All these people who had all this experience. I felt like I was just out there on an Island. I didn't know who to ask. Mm-hmm. Yep. Who to call for help. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a tough time. So, yeah. Really tough time. Well, I'm glad that you finally took the yeah. reins yourself and did the mama bear thing and yeah. figured it out on your own. Yeah. yeah. Blessing other, so many sometimes. other families. So why is the tongue so important? Talk to me about the tongue. Sure. Because we did a little bit of research on this. I'm like, wow. Yeah. So it's so important. It's, it's like, um, you know, you only notice it when something's wrong. Right. Like when you, you bite it, it or burn it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you, you taste with it, which, you know, is your favorite thing. Food. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. But otherwise, eh, it's a tongue. Don't, I don't really think about it. We all have that little fiber thing underneath, you know, when you lift up your tongue and you see underneath. You know what I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah, 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 yeah. long, stringy tendon thing. <laughs> so we're all tongue-tied in a way, right? Yeah. So this is another really big thing in the society. So as the tongue-tie word becomes more known, um, we throw it out there a lot. And not every frenum, which is what you're describing, the the fascia that's underneath the tongue, not every string frenum is a tie. So there will be those points of attachment. But we do a full functional assessment and anatomical assessment of the soft tissue, which is the lips, the cheeks, the frenums, um, hard tissue, which is the bones, how everything is forming. And then we come to a determination on, is this a true tie or is this just kind of restrictive and we need to do some muscle work around it? Um, And that's part of why our assessments are the length of time that they are because we need to kind of get everything. Even with our adult people, we go all the way back to birth because we need to know what was happening as we were developing. So you don't you just, do just adults? Do uh, You're doing adults too. <laughs> yes. You so, do, oh, I thought it was just kids. <laughs> yeah. So I specialize and my heart is with the younger population because of what I went through with my own children. Um, so I typically treat two or three and under. Um, and then I have other people in the practice that treat older ages, but the oldest that we've treated is late seventies. I mean, it's never too late to get your health in order. Wow. So interesting. Okay. So it, like you said, it's a word that we throw around a lot, right? It's in all right now in every online mom group, it's blamed for everything. If your baby's not gaining weight or they won't take a bottle, have you tried checking for ties, right? If yeah. Kid, our doula friend, she talks about it all the time, all the time. Um, so what exactly is it? And, and how common is it? A true actual tongue tie? Yeah. So ties are definitely much more common than they used to be. Um, there are different guesses of why it's happening as far as concrete evidence of why it happens. We don't know. We know when it happens. We know that there is a process in utero where the tongue is fused to the floor of the mouth. Um, kind of like we have webbing between our fingers and our toes. And then there's a process that happens called apoptosis where it starts to separate. The webbing starts going away, right? All of those things for whatever reason, that process does not complete. So it leaves these tighter frenums um, that could be a tie, 
But also sometimes it's just muscle dysfunction. That is a big thing that we're starting to learn a whole lot more. We used to think everything was just ties. Um, now we're starting to learn about 16 weeks in utero, we're starting to use the oral muscles. That's how some people will have ultrasounds of baby sucking thumb, right? We're already using those muscles in utero. Um, so a big portion of what's going on is the muscle function. Um, maybe ties too. I'm not saying ties are not a thing. They're definitely a thing. It's a huge thing in our practice. Um, but the muscle function really needs to be assessed and at all ages, really, we should be doing functional assessments for ties, not just an anatomical assessment. And we should be preparing the muscles for surgery if we're going to do surgery. And then after two. Hmm. Okay. So I feel like I need a mouth exam. Basically a, like it's, it's crazy. tighter than normal, right? Yep. So your tongue is restricted. The movement in the mouth is restricted, which is why mm-hmm. you'd have nursing issues mm-hmm. or yep. What else might you see if there's a tongue tie? What other issues? So by age, I always like to list by age because it's the easiest to do. So infancy, we'll see the nursing issues. It could be pain, maybe no pain, maybe clicking and popping on the breast or coming off the breast or not being able to handle the letdown. Um, Could be lots of gas, could be excessive spit up, Um, could be that the baby is just super tense and cries all the time, the colicky babies. as we get older, it could present as solid issues. We can't handle true solid foods. Um, it could turn into breathing issues where we're mouth breathing and having tonsil issues or not getting good sleep, behavioral issues, which comes from the sleep issues, um, turning into speech issues and migraine headache issues, TMJ issues. Um, I've even seen lots of pelvic floor issues related. There's such a long list of things that you can be looking for when it comes to ties or oral dysfunction. Wow. So this is a, this to me, hearing you say all this, I'm thinking if I'm a young mom, it's just part of the things that you're asking because that happens to all of us. Mm-hmm. Like, do you have, did my kid have sleep issues? Yes. Yes. There were times they did, but there are times was there lots of spit up? Yeah. Were there colicky times? Were there col- yes. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's part of the triage now that we know. If it goes on and on if and it go- on. Yeah. And the, it's unresolvable. This is one of the things you start exploring. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yep. Absolutely. And really, if you have any feeling that that could be going on, whether it's ties or just the dysfunction, like the muscles aren't working the way they need to, the sooner that we can get our hands on the baby, the quicker we see changes. Um, if I see a one week old versus seeing a six week old, we'll see changes quicker in the one week old than the six week old. And then it continues on because you're not unlearning because we've had less time of being outside Mm -hmm. where we're doing things improperly. Um, so yeah, as soon as somebody possibly thinks something could be going on, we can do have huge changes in, in like a week or two if we can get our hands on them. Well, that's, that offers a lot of hope right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just, you don't have to just be in misery and think that you're the only one and you're not doing it right. And all of the stuff that moms do to all themselves. The, yeah. Yeah. Um, all the yeah. mom guilt. But, Absolutely. But, but at least do yourself the favor of having someone qualified. Check that out. Yeah. Um, okay. So there's also something called tongue thrusting. Yep. How is that different than tongue tie? So a tongue thrust would be more of that function that I was telling you about. Um, With our swallows, foods, drinks, resting, just saliva, everything, 
tongue should be pressing up into the roof of the mouth. Um, some people automatically do that. I know, I'm swallowing right now and, and like going, am I doing hmm, that? What yes. is happening? Mm-hmm. Um, some people do not. And some people, their tongue forces forward with their swallow, which is the thrust. The tongue is forcing through the teeth. Um, you can really see, once you start learning about it, you'll see what a thrust smile looks like because it changes the way the bones are. Um, right, any battle between muscle and bone, muscle always wins. So that sounds weird because you think bone's hard, bone's got to win. It's not. It's the muscle function and pull that changes everything. So what does it look like when somebody's like a, um, an adult? It will look like tongue coming forward. So with a swallow, you'll see pink coming through the teeth um, or you'll see some compensations like the lips will pull in and purse when they're swallowing. Um, there are lots of little things that we're trained to look at that when we do our assessments, um, we always do foods and drinks for two and up is typically what we do. Um, and we're looking at things that people don't even know we're looking at. Mm-hmm. Um, we look at muscle recruitment. We look at how we're swallowing, how we're chewing, pretty much everything. Right. So over time, and if you, anybody has ever had braces, orthodontic work at all, you know this, over time and really a very short period of time, pressure put on your jaw or muscles to change your teeth and your jaw and all of that stuff, um, it doesn't take that much pressure to move everything in your mouth and change the structure of your face even. So I'm thinking of, okay, so you've got a a little baby who's, I think of them as sort of rubbery. (laughs) They're apt to change a lot. Their facial structure, like you said, you know, muscles are more flexible. Um, Over time, that little bit of pressure that's again and again and again and again in the wrong place can create all of these um, dental issues, overbite, underbite, gaps, all of the stuff that you're going to have to pay thousands of dollars for down Mm -hmm. the road. Mm -hmm. Maybe they could have been avoided. Yeah. So in general, if somebody is going into orthodontics, There's a reason that we developed that way. What is the reason? We don't just, we shouldn't just, I will say shouldn't, just put on braces and then hope that whatever caused it to happen changed. Um, Because as most people know, if you go through braces, especially with really bad muscle dysfunction, you're a relapse case. So you go through it at 11, and then again when you're 18, and then again when you're 30, And then either you give up or it's this like every 10 year thing that's going on because nobody's ever addressed the function of why we developed that way. So the muscles will continue to pull and shift things out of line. Um, And really every orthodontist should be pairing their treatments with myofunctional therapy with a qualified provider. and there's, there's one that is out of Mount Juliet that they, that he does, he gets it, he gets it. And he actually learned about myofunctional therapy when he was in school, like 20, 30 years ago, which is tremendous. Yeah. I love it. Um, but there's not many that are on board for it. So interesting. So, um, tell me a little bit about tonsils and adenoids sure. and all that stuff. Um, yeah. A lot of ear infections, uh-huh. things like that. Yeah. All that stuff is common in childhood. It is. How do you know if it's a, it is. something So I love about? the word common. Great. Because it is common, not normal. So a lot of people will throw out, oh, that's normal. You know, they started daycare. They're just sick all the time. They did this. They're just sick all the time. Whatever it could be. 
typically that's not true. Um, I will say there is much more sickness now than there was a few years ago. So that has shifted a little bit, but with let's go into the ear infections in general, cause I get a lot that are referred for ear infections from pediatricians. Um, with different pressure inside of the mouth and different points of contact inside of the mouth with our swallow, we drain the ear canals. So if we are not swallowing properly, we're not using muscles properly, we have fluid buildup. And then we have fluid buildup, then we have ear infections constantly. And it's like the snowball thing that happens. Um, with tonsils and adenoids, typically we're seeing inflammation because of mouth breathing. So we're open mouth breathing. We're taking in unfiltered air, cold air, not warmed air, um, bacteria, swallowing the bacteria too. So we see gut, um, gut dysbiosis from mouth breathing. Um, I'm telling you, I know there's <laughs> we're so looking much at that going with it. So <laughs> most of the time the tonsils and adenoids are inflamed because of breathing issues, not because they actually need to come out. And I am a huge believer that we need them. They are there for a reason. It's part of our lymphatic system. They're an integral part of our system. Um, so we do whatever we can to fix the problem instead of just mask some of these symptoms. Sorry, Houston. What he had his adenoids know? out. Oh. <laughs> I, like, seriously, like, did, none of this was like on my radar. No, my pediatrician didn't mention me it. Me neither. Like, none of it. That's why I think it's so important that we're talking to her today. I know. It's such good information to have. I'm always, you know. if you can avoid surgery, 100%, yes. Absolutely. I And I agree with you. It's in there for a reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow, that's that is fascinating to me that, that the breathing, the unfiltered air... And, and all of the dominoes that fall mm-hmm. when you do that. Yeah. Wow. All the snoring and sleep apnea that comes with that. And your gut yeah. even. All the way into adulthood. Yeah. Yeah. Which I do want, since you did bring it up, with snoring in general, because that's another big one, right? So um, I had a dad come in here earlier, and he said, oh, yeah, my friend who's an orthodontist said that no child should be snoring. So that is absolutely correct, but the... The actual statement is nobody should be snoring. When we are snoring, it's a soft tissue obstruction of the airway. And then we have that vibration and then we have whatever level of snoring it could be. Um, It's not always overweight people. So we can have upper airway resistance, which is where we still have some of that resistance, but maybe the snoring isn't present, but we're never getting good sleep and we're kind of tired through the day. And that's most common in physically fit women. Um, So Hmm. a lot of times we get, oh, well, they're overweight. So yeah, of course they have sleep apnea. That's not the only thing we need to be looking at. Should we be? Yes. We need to be looking at the whole body. We need to be looking about at diet. We need to look at inflammation in the body. Like there's so many things we need to look at, but it's not just unhealthy, overweight people that this is happening to. It's really an epidemic with lots of different ages, kids included. Wow. So why are we, why are we snoring? We are snoring because we are developing different. So before the 50s, before bottles came out, we had no other option for feeding, right? So we had to use the muscles no matter what. One way or another, it had to happen or we didn't survive. 
And then there was the shift in society where formula and bottles and it's just as good as breast milk, if not better, but mom can go back to work and like all this stuff happened. Um, and then we changed to, oh, well, let's not chew our food. Let's go to pureed food because that's safer and this and that and whatever it is that they come up with with their marketing. Um, we stopped using the muscles. We stopped learning how to function. We have become a society where if you go to a buffet and you watch people, people watching is my job. So it's one of the things that I do. Um, in general, most people will go for all of your soft foods. So breads, meatloaf, really anything that you wouldn't need teeth or even anything to masticate or, or chew. Um, we are just not learning to function as a society. And then on top Smoothies. of that, <laughs> on top of that, we have <laughs> the ties that are becoming more prominent. So it's really this huge de-evolution that's happening <laughs> in our society. <laughs> wow. That is why it feels like it's more common or a fad or all the things that I hear from doctors that are just not interested in continuing their education. Um, that's why it feels that way. Wow. Okay. That's super interesting. I always love the cause and effect yeah. and just kind of looking back over cultures and seeing what we've done and how we get some things right today. and some things wrong. That's right. That means wow. you can correct this. Yeah. You can correct it the earlier, the better. The earlier, the better. You can introduce better foods and, and do your nursing and so, lactation consultants. So that makes me want to, like, I wonder if different cultures. So, like, our back to our food episode, mm -hmm. the trio of food episodes we did, where the French are have such a high view of food and that that's a, it's imperative to teach a child to eat for life. And so they're mm -hmm. doing a lot of chewing. They don't do all this pureed. Yep. You eat what mom and dad eat from yes. the beginning. And that is absolutely so important. Um, everybody has heard the saying, oh, he's spoon fed, right? So that literally means that people did everything for them and they never learned how to do it. So why are we treating our children that way? Why mm -hmm. do we go from breast, milk, formula, whatever it could be, to just smushed up foods that they don't have to work for? Why is that? the way that we do things. Um, the more that we learn, we're learning that chewing is what is helping us develop. The more we use the muscles, the better off we are. So early childhood, I'm thinking, I don't know, nine, 10 months before you're a year old, what would you recommend giving a child then? So um, from a functional standpoint, a child should be able to do, and the muscle should be prepared enough to do whatever parents are eating. So that is going to vary depending on the person, and there is no completely right or wrong way to do it um, because we need parents to feel comfortable too when they're doing things. So if that means they need to do some purees or mashed up foods and then also some solids, then that's fine. That's perfect. I'm not trying to make anybody feel like what they're doing is completely wrong, but if we have oral function where it should be, then at the time of solids, which in my opinion should be six months, not four months, um, and solids, when I say solids, that means a solid food, not pureed foods, um, they can do anything that you have on their plate. So Just as long as it's not chokeable, right? So with the sizes, 
Typically what's recommended to start with is finger-like sizes. So if you look at your finger, kind of like strips, right? Um, I grew up in thinking that smaller was safer. It's not, it's more airway sized. So we want to do bigger pieces so that they can learn to feed themselves one. So grab and take um, food to mouth, but also so that they can take off the pieces they want. And that will ensure that they are chewing and not just pouching food, which is like the chipmunk yeah. look, right? Yeah. So if they're little tiny pieces, they just put a bunch in there because it doesn't matter. They could just swallow them if they wanted to. Um, and then sometimes they do just swallow them and we're still not chewing. So it's still a problem when we're doing solids if we're not doing them correctly. Finger size strips, moms. That's what we start out with. Okay, yep. very interesting. So, and you shouldn't worry necessarily about um, the manner of chewing. Tell me if this is true or false. So you, you are introducing these finger-sized foods and, you know, puree stuff, baby food jars are a lot easier and cleaner. Pouches. <laughs> Sometimes. Pouches yeah. are even easier. Yep. Giving, Looking yeah. at you, Dottie Lou. A kid loves a pouch. And putting them in their mouths and, and then sort of tongue thrusting them back out or mushing them around in their mouth. They're, they're playing with textures and feelings and all that when they're doing that. Mm-hmm. So that's okay to be messy. Yes. And it is to be expected. So, um, again, I like to always tell parents because I don't like to make anybody feel shame for whatever way they're choosing to do stuff. There are going to be times like I would never go out to a restaurant with my six month old and say, okay, well, this is how we eat. This is what we're doing. Um, no, there's going to be times where you do have to do cleaner ways of eating, drinking. Right. But at home we, take the baby out of their clothes. We make sure that they're in a high chair, that their feet can actually touch the rest. Um, That's really important and a big piece that people miss because um, if you just try to pull your feet up and like feel what it feels like, that's uncomfortable and it's not stable. Um, your gut, it affects your your belly muscles. Mm -hmm. So it makes it hard for somebody learning how to eat. And we want to make sure those things are in place and then that we have a full open area for all the food that's going to get there. Um, and that does help with texture issues and we want foods touching because we don't want them to have aversions to food touching. You know, I have some kids that they will have a complete meltdown if their mashed potatoes touch their turkey on Thanksgiving and that comes from us compartmentalizing everything. Um, so the cute little trays that are all separated, um, typically I'm not recommending those because we want our foods to be okay to be together. So I also read that you in, since we're talking about all this eating that, um, maybe picky eaters and, um, food limits, self limiting and foods and stuff like that can come from oral issues. Yes. So early on when they first start doing, say you are comfortable enough that you gave a strip of steak, um, to your child when they were six months old. Um, and they, that child never did work on their muscles. So who knows how this is going to go. Right. And they end up getting a piece of that meat off. Well, then their muscles don't know what to do with it. And so for them, they have the response of, Oh no danger. Um, and it kind of sticks with them. And I tell parents a lot too, that gagging is to be expected and it's fine. Gagging is okay. That's us learning where things can go. 
Choking when we have no sound is when we get concerned. But I have a lot of parents too that are so nervous to do the feeding a certain way that they almost put the fear into those children even when it doesn't need to be there. Um, so that's why I say, you know, whatever you're comfortable with, you kind of do a mixture of things. Um, but yeah, in general, uh, my child, my second born, the one that we addressed function and um, ties early on, from the time she was six months, she had everything we were eating. She had pork chop or steak or chicken or Brussels sprouts or whatever it could be. And at one, now she can eat raw veggies. She can eat anything. I mean, it's it's pretty amazing the difference between the two kids. Because my first one that I like to call my test child, the one I tested everything <laughs> They're all on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, they um, are. He was just completely different. I mean, even now, my one-year-old will eat more and a better variation than my eight-year-old does. And it's pretty tremendous the difference that we could make with just how we're training children to grow. Wow. So many parents have food issues. Yeah. Yeah. If you could get the food thing right, you're setting yourself up for a lifetime of joy. Absolutely. I'm just thinking food issues, sleep issues, all the things that you hear parents, Mm -hmm. you know, commonly rail about about or, Mm -hmm. you know, in misery and despair about. Um, Yeah. It's just another avenue to check out and to see. Maybe, maybe could it be this? Yeah. I, I think that's helpful. So helpful. So you, you have a child come in and you're, you're observing them swallow or whatever they're doing. What, what do you do with a kid? Like what kind of therapy are we talking about yeah. here? So every age is going to look a little bit different, but our basis is the same. We need tongue to move d- certain directions. We need it to be able to lift a certain way. We need lips to be strong, cheeks, cheeks to be able to do its own job, um, swallow to be the way that it should be. Um, and it looks different. So for a baby, we have to do that stuff manually. So we still focus on oral motor, which is the movement aspect of it. We still focus on strength. We still focus on everything I would in a 20 year old just a little bit differently. And we do it more hands-on with, with the parents getting homework to do at home. Um, in my consultations especially, I am an over-information giver. The reason for that is because if I know why, if I have a why, I am more likely to follow through with what, what I'm being told to do. So I try to, to do that same thing in the practice so that I'm empowering parents to be able to take the reins and know what they're looking for instead of having to constantly rely on me. Um, it's so important for me to, to make sure that everybody is empowered for themselves versus making sure that I have somebody coming back 20 times, you know? Right. Which, okay. So which leads me to ask how long does somebody stay with you? Yeah. So we are function based and symptom based in our infants. So Say I have somebody come in and they've got these feeding issues and after two appointments, we determine that function is really good, but we still have the ties that do actually need to be treated. We treat those. Then I do maybe one or two after, but all symptoms have resolved and we're in a great place. That baby is graduated. I don't need to continuously see them because we've done everything we needed to. And at that point, then I give parents, okay, so this is our next milestone. 
if this is happening at this milestone, that's when you come back to me. Um, that way they are only seeing me for what they need in older populations. Uh, say my one, two, threes. Um, what we're doing is typically we're preparing them for surgery. Almost all of them in that age range are surgical candidates, not all of them. Um, sometimes it's just mouth breathing or little things like that, but we're getting them ready and however long that takes. So say we're trying to get a certain exercise mastered before surgery, could be four sessions, could be eight sessions. Then they do the surgical aspect and then we just do a few after to heal. Um, in my four and older population, we do a complete neuromuscular re-education. So that is basically what the brain is telling the body to do. How we're eating, how we're drinking, how we're resting, using any of the oral cavity muscles at all, cheeks, lips, everything included. That is a little bit longer because there's a lot more work that we have to do. And it will take anywhere from six to 12 months, depending on what's going on in between. So we ne might need expansion. We might need those tie releases. We might need something else that's, you know, needed for that actual client themselves. Um, so everything is very customized to what that person needs. So by four to five, you've just had the habits longer. So mm -hmm. it takes longer to undo them. Yes. And okay. for at four to five, we want to retrain everything we've been doing. So at the end of therapy, when you graduate, your exercises for life are how we're eating, how we're drinking, how we're resting. Um, that's one of the number one questions is, well, what do I do after? Well, after you're functioning optimally, so you don't need to do anything. We do check-ins, so we'll do check-ins at certain points to make sure that everything stuck that we changed, but you're functioning. You are doing exactly what you need to be doing. You don't need us anymore. Okay. So I have two questions. One, when you talk in surgery, you're talking about like clipping a tongue tie, right? Yes. Okay. And two, um, is, are the exercises and therapies that you do, are they painful? They can cause muscle fatigue. Okay. So kind of like if you go to the gym after a long time of not going to the gym and you work muscles you're not used to, we can get tired. It's not pain when we do any of them at any age. There's no pain involved. Um, if there is, then typically that's related to like a TMJ issue or something like that, but not the actual exercises. Okay, cool. All right, so you wanna talk about, dun, 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 the pacifier. And <laughs> 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 thumb sucking, which we had a whole episode on, but yeah. I think it's interesting. I yeah. yeah, I want her take on it. Yeah, sure. So pacifiers in general, we'll go there first. They were designed to take the place of the mom because the mom started going outside of the house to work. They were gone for longer periods of time. They were a way to keep the baby happy when mom wasn't around. Um, if you can get away with not doing a pacifier, that is preferred. Let me tell you the reason for that. So the reason is because any kind of negative pressure with the sucking that we're doing, the non-nutritive sucking with the pacifier, we are creating changes in the bone. And I use my family as guinea pigs for pretty much everything. And so I did a test on my own one-year-old. And my test was, I wanted to know how long could I use a cylinder-shaped pacifier, which is what we recommend for the first six months, without having structural changes in the palate. Um, I 
let her have it up till 10 months, which still seems like a baby baby, right? She developed narrow. So now we're doing work to try to correct the way she developed. But I needed to know that because I need to know what to tell people. So with pacifiers, we want to do the soothe cylinder shape for up to six months um, so that we can get side lateral border strength of the tongue so we can get that taco tongue around the bottle or the breast the way that we need to. Um, after that, if we still absolutely need to have the pacifier, that's when we switch to an orthodontic pacifier. And I use that in quotations because it's an oxymoron. Um, there's no <laughs> such thing, <laughs> but it makes people feel better because it does assist a little bit with how the palate will develop. Um, but those type of pacifiers encourage low tongue posture and flat tongue posture. So we can't get the sides of the tongue to activate the way that we need to. Um, but if rule of thumb pacifier should be gone between six and nine months, like it just really should. Okay. Okay. So then they start sucking their thumb. Yep. Can't take that away. No, it is very frowned upon to cut the thumbs off. (laughs) (laughs) So with the habits like that, we do gentle transitions. So I'm a firm believer in gentle changes for kids especially since a lot of what they're doing is tied to emotional things Um, so we give different recommendations of how we can get the tongue to rest in the roof of the mouth which is what will release the feel-good hormones um, versus having to fill that spot and rub it and how we can implement something else like maybe a myo munchie for certain people that could still give us that sensory input but the myo munchie is a device that helps with chewing and breathing and lip closure so what what is it we it looks like a football mouthpiece but it's a medical grade silicone material that it's designed for chewing little tiny chews um so we do replacements when it comes to certain people it's not indicated for everybody and you definitely should always have somebody overseeing you use it um, because it can cause some changes in the arches but sometimes we do use it and we change what they are seeking not the thumb but maybe something else Hmm. so i was looking at your website and you had a list of oral habits to kind of be looking for some of them include uh grinding your teeth uh, nail biting, yep. which I thought was interesting. And you didn't have this one, but I'm curious, excessive drooling. Mm-hmm. I knew a kid once that had to wear, I mean, he wore probably 10 bibs a day yeah, because he drooled so much. Yeah. So what about those things? So typically we are with the drooling. Let's go into that one. Cause that's an, a pretty easy one. Um, that is coming from mouth breathing. So anytime our lips are open, we aren't swallowing the way that we need to. So we have a lot of the saliva that will pull. Um, So just simply changing our postures and strength of the certain muscle groups will change that. Okay. So that's an easy fix. Easy fix. Yeah, that's an easy one. Um, Anytime we have any extra habits or parafunctional habits, whether it's pacifiers, fingers, um, thumbs, other objects, nail biting, it all is some kind of sensory seeking for one reason or the other. So pacifiers, thumbs typically is trying to rub that spot in the roof of the mouth that helps to soothe and calm. 
Um, nail biting, we see a lot with just the sensory seeking input that we need. So you said the roof of the mouth, like it releases a hormone when you uh-huh. rub it? Yep. What? Yep. <laughs> so there's a place when working with us that you'll hear us say a lot and we call it the spot and it is where the tip of the tongue should be living. And then the rest of the tongue kind of follows and suctions up. Um, it's how we get a good airway. It's how we get the swallow pressure on the palate and everything to form the way that it needs to. Um, one easy way to think about that is to say N, like the N. letter N. Everyone N, do it now. N, N. N. That is where the tip of the tongue should be resting. Um, and then the rest of the tongue kind of follows. So hmm. that place, the spot, is what releases all of those hormones. If we either have oral dysfunction where the tongue is not elevating there or we're tied and we physically cannot elevate there then we'll fill the spot with something um whether that be the passy fingers even other objects i mean we've we see we've seen it all yeah um but that is how that is correlated well very interesting it makes me wonder if that's how french kissing started (laughs) (laughs) i'll probably have to cut that part out that is not related at all. That's not in my training. <laughs> no therapy for that, really. Sorry. You're on your own. Uh, on your own with that. This has been so interesting and so informative. And I think for a lot of young moms and young parents who are just trying to navigate first-time parenting or maybe have a second or third child that's completely different, which... Right. They almost always are. Yeah. And uh, you're not getting what you are seeking from a pediatrician or your typical office. Um, I just think, yeah, check out the Breathe Well group in Middle Tennessee. And if you're not in Middle Tennessee, look up your orofacial myofunctional therapist. Well done, Bonnie. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Chelsea, so much. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. This has been so great. Well, we'll have these resources on our website at justaskyourmom.com. And you can find us on Facebook at Just Ask Your Mom and Instagram at Just Ask Your Mom Podcast. Yep. And please take five seconds to rate and review the podcast. It just helps elevate us in the search mechanism and share us with your friends and family. If you have any suggestions for future uh, topics, you can always email us at justaskyourmompodcast at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time on Just, just Ask, Ask Your Mom. Mom.